Welcome to Interplay, Conversations in Music. I'm Michael Shapiro, your host, and today I'm in with a dear friend, composer extraordinaire, Darren Hagen. Hi, Darren. <laughs> Hello, my friend. <laughs> so good to see you. And the, this uh, business that we'll be going through, this monstrous business that the world is going through, has kept us apart. But I saw you right before it hit, it turns out, I think. We had a lovely lunch the last time. I came up to your neck of the woods, and we had a great time. Well, looking forward to it again. Darren, the thing that got me started with really thinking about you was reading your your autobiography, frankly. Uh, I knew of you. I knew about the operas somewhat. I, I knew about the, the, the huge number of works you've written. But I didn't know the, a lot about you until I read Duet with the Past, which is your autobiography, which I must say is a no-holds-barred autobiography. It's not like Richard Wagner's My Life, which is basically, you know, a screed, S-C-R-E-E-D. Yeah. You let every, everything hang out, didn't you? Well, I got a great bit of advice from a writer named Lynn Freed many years ago, uh, who, who I knew I was writing uh, a memoir. And she said, well, if, darling, if you're going to do it, be brave or don't. So I found my courage, and I wrote a book that took courage, I, for me at least, to write. Um, I've always felt that why would we take up people's time? If you write a three-minute piece of music, that means you've taken three minutes of somebody's life they've given you. I still find that to be extraordinary generosity on the part of music lovers, and readers, the same thing. At least with a reader, they can put your book down and you never found out that they put the book down and you know they've been using it as a coaster ever since. They only got through five pages. But with a piece of music, they're trapped in a concert hall. Aren't they? Uh, uh, the other thing was is that I, I, I read somewhere and I forget where it was because I'm, I don't know, lack of sleep. But uh, a, a fellow who wrote a, a memoir that was... Uh, to console uh, the troubled and to trouble the comfortable. To comfort the troubled and trouble the comfortable. Sounds right. And I thought that that was a, an, a really neat challenge and an important challenge for somebody who, who is trying to be a better person. Now, I'm curious of one thing. Isn't that what we do in music? Absolutely. If we're artists... Uh, you know, there's so much of us that uh, has to deal with the marketplace and what constitutes commercialism. And, um, you know, it, we take for granted, or maybe we don't, uh, that we're artists. We aspire to be artists. But what does being an artist mean? Does being a fine artist means financially not viable or non-commercially viable or nobody likes it, so it must be art? Uh, these are all things that we're thinking about all the time. Uh, well, you and I share the fact that we have families, that we have kids, that we have houses, that we have mortgages. Does any of that filter into the way you write? No. I, I wish it had. <laughs> uh, I... I always, uh, since being a teenager, uh, realized that uh, 
one had to solve the money problem somehow. And how one solves the money problem uh, it dictates, is dictated on one's own value system. What you can tolerate, uh, we are how we spend our time. Uh, and uh, for me, I was always able to tolerate a large amount of financial instability. Um, beyond instability, complete madness. Uh, and of course, you just you just framed it. You know, you have kids, you have a mortgage, and things like that, and you suddenly have to to grow up uh, and become a stable provider. I I was very lucky uh, to uh, have children late after I had already figured it out, uh, figured the money thing out for myself. But yeah, we, we live in a capitalist society. And if you wanna make art, you have to buy the time to do it. Or you have to have other people buy the time for you. I have to say a funny story. When I was studying with Ali Siegmeister in the 60s, he was asked to go to the Soviet Union to have a, you know, this American composer goes to the Russia exchange thing. And when he got there, he was taken to the musicians building in Moscow. <laughs> It was a high-rise Soviet block structure, and he was shown by his assistant, whoever was taking him, oh, that's where all the musicians live. <laughs> that's where all the artists live, painters. That's where all the poets live. Oh, and the chess people are over there. <laughs> so, so he told me, can you imagine? Shostakovich was in the musicians' building, as was Gilel's and Oystrak, and Rostropovich, and Kogan, and all the rest. Mm. So you can imagine, you can make a joke out of this. Shostakovich goes in the elevator. <laughs> yeah, in, exactly. Well, there are two corollaries to that. The, it's the it's the when you get a cab story. Right. Uh, when I was in my twenties, I would grab a cab in Philadelphia, and you you know you talk to the cab driver the way that you do, and uh, I, the fellow would ultimately say, "What do you do?" And I say, I'm a composer. He says, well, that's nice. What do you do for a living? Yeah, I know. That's yeah. the old joke. My dad used to say feast or famine, but let's get off this fact, this, this <laughs> discussion, and talk about um, your art, because it's wonderful. You're ve you know, I once had a conversation to, with Cho Wen Chung, who was referring to another composer, and he says, he's a very uh, melodic composer. And that was on the subway where I then proceeded to stand back and say, yes, sir, yes, sir. <laughs> indeed. I mean, well, indeed, for God's sake, why not? It's like, oh, he's a living composer. Does he eat? Does he or she breathe? Darren, you're all about communication. You have been from the get-go, and you always will be. There is no, I mean, you're an incredibly talented guy in every way, sh way shape, or form, and we'll go to the every way, shape, or form soon. I've already talked about your writing. The memoir is extraordinarily written. It has musical phrases in the, in the words, great melodic line and harmony in the words, and all the things that are in your music are in your, is in your memoir, which is completely open. And it's true of your art. Now, well, you have... I, yeah, I submit, don't you think? I, well, it's kind of you to say. I mean, I, I think that I'm, um, uh, the more... I uh, get out of my own sandbox and what I and think that I have a sandbox, the more fulfilled I am as a person uh, who who wanted to live an examined life. Um, do you remember how Schoenberg used to just 
jump on Bernstein for, you know, if only he wouldn't play the piano, he'd be a better conductor. If he wouldn't con conduct, he'd be a better composer. And he just, nobody would give him a break. I'm sorry, Kusevitsky? You say Kusevitsky? No, not, oh, uh, not oh, Harold Schoenberg. Harold oh, Schoenberg, Oh, yeah. of course. Yes, remember yes, him? yes. And I remember as a kid reading those. It was those horrible for Lenny. Just thinking, yeah, just leave him alone. Let him leave be. Him alone. And I think that our society still, less so, I think, um, but still wants to pigeonhole people. If you're, and I remember with, with Ned Roram when I was studying with him, it was always his writer friends would say, you know, they knew nothing about his music. His musician friends would know nothing about his writing. And, and I'm afraid that I still have a lot of people who, who, who are the same way with me, but now I've got filmmaker friends who, uh, who don't know anything about music and so forth. I think that I'm happiest just going my own way, doing my own thing and uh, eschewing all gatekeepers and all received ideas of what constitutes success artistic or professionally. Right, you're just doing it. Now let's talk about Orson Rehearsed, which is a uh, film. It is. Created uh, I, by you in every which way. Describe yeah. every which way to me. And to our viewers. Well, it's about Orson Welles. And uh, Orson Welles grew up in Kenosha. Well, he was born in Kenosha, Wisconsin, and grew up all over the world. But uh, he's a Wisconsin boy, as am I, and uh, has been someone who's fascinated me all my life as, uh, as uh, who was a polymath, um, actor, writer, beautiful visual artist, filmmaker, director. I mean, we all know that. Orson Welles did a lot of things, and and a and a very very intensely uh, socially conscious and socially uh, social uh, politically active person. You know, you used to write uh, speeches for FDR, and he would coach FDR and how to deliver speeches. He took a year off of his own career to campaign for Roosevelt, and so forth. Anyway, I I, uh, I have long had a fascination for the bardo or the the area between life and death where you know some people call it limbo or what is the transition the liminal zone between these states where uh charon uh the river sticks uh, people crossing from one state to the other orpheus and eurydice and so i took i got it in my mind that i would examine how orson wells might be feeling during the last few heartbeats of his life a man famously started at the top and worked his way down in many ways, but was always on the outside, always a free spirit, always someone seeking a, a fulfilling personal and artistic existence. So uh, it, for me, it was just natural that if you're going to create a, a lyric theater work a, uh, about a man who was a filmmaker, you should get in, you should use film. And so I started shooting film just to get limber in my own head with 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 how that person might think. And I've always been a, a pretty serious critical film watcher since since my teens. So I was already uh, aware of the language and the rhetoric. Um, and so I started shooting film. And I had about sixty hours of of, of uh, high def video. And then I realized, well, this is this is this has got to be integration of film the way that Wells very early on integrated film into his his legit stage plays. Then I realized, well, with the technology is now so inexpensive and so fluid and fluent that with, with some application, 
uh, I could I could learn these apps and I could become and I'd been doing some film work and so forth. Anyway, I had the skills, and so I started cutting together film. And then I realized I needed to create a process. So I wrote an uh, an opera about moments in Wells' life that then would be accompanied by films, singers singing two films, three singers portraying Wells that would be singing his internal thoughts as avatars, a young Wells, a dying Wells, and a middle-aged Wells. And the films would be showing us what they were thinking. Uh, and the orchestra would be an orchestra, but there would also be a huge electroacoustic track that would sometimes be louder or without the live players. So that you'd always have two opposing forces or three or many. There would be live music, but there'd also be dead music. There'd be live action, but also dead canned action on the screens to that. But once I got to that place, then I started thinking the way that uh, Joyce thought about writing or, or Paul Muldoon or, or Seamus Haney th thinks about poetry, which is how many layers can you add in and still be comprehensible? So I realized it would have to be a film ultimately. So the, the, the films were made, the onstage films were made, the show was written to match those films with live singers. The live singers were done in concert with a live orchestra of 11 players, Fifth House Ensemble in Chicago. And I staged it uh, with the films going and the opera singers singing. And those were shot by three cameras and mobile camera. And everything would then be, then I cut everything together, but then there would be a third level of rhetoric, which would be, uh, semi-opaque images that would be drawn from both worlds that would then have their own sort of ghosts of Versailles story that floated on between the two. Anyway, it's, it sounds, it is, it's, it's a little bit crazy. Um, but well, it, I've it's, seen, I've seen the film. It, it hangs together and it's very much your voice. Um, and it's very compelling. You do, you do, can, you can tell the different ages of the people. Obviously they're physically the, different with um the elderly gentleman who, who passed away very soon we know bob both of us know bob yeah, yeah. bob bob orth it's it was a great privilege to work with bob because bob was going through chemotherapy during production it's extraordinary and performance he it, it is he was playing a dying orson wells and he himself was was in the process of coming to grips with the very issues that the, the his character in the opera and yeah, extraordinary. We, we just and during discovery while we were while I was staging it with with the men, um, these were candid conversations. And to me, there's there's nothing better. There's there's no more honorable transaction than than what we were doing together, talking about real things and trying to make a work of art about real things. May I just go off of that and talk to you? having get given honor to the great Orth, who was extraordinary. You've been a theater, a theater guy, in addition to your concert life and your writing life and everything else you do, your teaching life, your daddy life, your dog life. <laughs> you saw her. I just saw her, yeah. And, but theater, you've written a dozen operas, is this right? Yeah, I've written a lot of them, uh, and uh, every one of them I've I've attempted a different strategy for getting to 
solving the dramaturgical riddle. And so some of them are, are, are pretty straightforward. Pretty, some of them have very literistic, hard to understand libretti. Some of them have very speechy libretti. Some, some are like Orson, 90% uh, found objects. Film, fixed image, always gonna be that way. Although Orson rehearsed could be done in a theater, quite obviously. But you're somebody who's worked in theater, which is a different show every night, even right. though there's the or text, as it were, that people are using. Is this where opera's going to go? Into something harder and fixed? Well, I mean, some people would argue that this is where opera's always been. Uh, you know, you, I, there are so many versions of Verdi operas uh, that someone, uh, anytime company is revived of some time, it's a different show. Anytime you do legitimate music theater, the show has been altered for that market or that reinterpretation of the show. Uh, it, it doesn't take a Peter Sellars to make Mozart completely different. All you have to do is wear a different pair of, of intellectual glasses toward the staging of it. Um, changing the physical, changing the actual musical document it's not that big of a deal. You don't make the perfect production of Don Giovanni or any more than you make the perfect production of Long Day's Journey into Night. You do the, the show that the people in the room can do. I understand that. But yeah. let me – I've been speaking to some opera directors and opera producers yeah. and opera administrators now. They're very, very, very occupied with thinking about alternatives. Yeah, and I understand that. I mean, of course, COVID has forced us all to come to grips with, 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 <clears throat> with rethinking what constitutes uh, the sandbox. Um, I, to to be honest, I mean, I let go of the sandbox a long time ago. Um, I I think that theater have always felt uh, guerrilla theater on the sidewalk is just as viable as as theater at the Met, and that all spaces, all media. There's nothing particularly novel or, or um, innovative or visionary about simply using the tools that we have to, to go into new places and, and express things like that. I mean, I, I, I did Orson the way that I did because the subject and the execution form must follow function. The subject must be a manifestation. But I agree with you. Yeah, I mean, everybody is... This is, I mean, there's so much talk about this. I will say yeah. about Orson rehearsed, which I'm, I hope people will see after it does its, uh, its roots yeah. <laughs> route through the various festivals and so forth. But it does reach some theaters and also television and YouTube or wherever, Vimeo, wherever you uh, wish to put it, that people do watch it and understand this, this very new concept of what you do. It's kind of very high, high art, guerrilla art, and very organic, very organic, into the character of this man. That being said... That being said, if I can just jump in to, to, to conclude our talk today, you've been in a lot of different directions. Uh, but you, you you got a lot of oomph left, Darren. <laughs> <laughs> Where do you want to take yeah, that oomph too? Uh, Where do you want to take this? What's next? I don't know. I have no idea. Uh, I'm... I, I know I'm shooting uh, an opera called 910 for six singers in an Italian restaurant in Chicago next year. Uh, it's sort of my dinner with Andre meets um, uh, oh, what is the Verdi opera with the two men? 
Oh, I, I don't know. It could be Rigoletto. Um, but it, um, or Don Carlo, it, Don Carlo, <laughs> that's it, Don Carlo. Oh, Don Carlo. Oh, God, it's oh, good. God, yes. Um, <laughs> it, it's, it's six people having a uh, dinner in an Italian restaurant the night before 9 11, and they're in Little oh. Italy. They're all going to die the next day, and wow. um, it's, it's going to be shot with a rail camera so that I can get all the shots. and the music will come from a, a, a it'll all be pre-recorded with soundscapes and so and and come from a, a jukebox in the italian nice. restaurant nice. and the the audiences will will pay to have dinner and see the show and uh -huh. basically see the filming at the same time and the the opera itself is is cued to the courses of the meal and the wow. arias come come and go as the as the removes happen and this is and great that's the next one well, nine, it sounds great. We can't wait to see it. Um, and its name again is 910? 910, yeah. Well, even though this has been short and sweet, I want to thank you for joining me uh, on Interplay, Darren Hagen. We can't wait to go to the, a restaurant together in Chicago. Wouldn't that be fun? Oh. Chicago has the best restaurants. No offense to New York, but I love Chicago to eat. The loop will feed us forever. Oh, my God. Darren, be well. This has been wonderful. Be well, my friend. Thanks for having me over. Thank you, Bye. Darren Hagen, for joining me on Interplay Conversations in Music. This is your host, Michael Shapiro. Take care, Michael. Bye, all.